Well, hey, um, if you have a Bible, open it to James chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 7 through 12. And if you uh, haven't noticed, we are just two weeks away from the end of this series. We've, we've gone through the whole book and we've unpacked verse by verse in each chapter and, and we're, we're near the end. So we have just a couple weeks left and today what we're talking about is suffering and, and, and comfort, which between those two are we choosing. And so we're going to read verses 7 through 12 and then we'll get into our message. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. So, in that theme where we see the, the church kind of at, remember last week we talked about riches or righteousness and the, the church was in the midst of persecution and James is telling them, not he's, not he's not saying, hey guys, let's go hide out and be safe, but what he's really saying is, hey, let's step up and be bold. And so these two that he's kind of challenging is he's saying, be patient in your suffering. Don't try to seek comfort in the midst of your condemnation. And so in, in America, it's kind of hard for us to feel that, that, that suffering. I mean, some of us have suffering in our lives, whether physical, emotional, spiritual, but there is a type of suffering that we don't always see here in America. And in fact, in America, it seems in our culture, in our time, it seems that all the creativity of man and all the energy that we possess has kind of produced in us this hyper-focusedness to really eradicate from the face of the earth any need to be patient. I mean, all of our focus has seemed to be fixated on this, and we are, in fact, almost heaven-bent on making sure we don't have to wait for anything ever, right? And, and the way that it's helpful for me, if you're going, no, no, I'm patient, I, I feel like we're a patient culture, which you're lying to yourself. The way that's helpful for me to get this and to understand about how our world is right now is to, is to imagine and, and just look at the world that my 10-month-old son is growing up in. This is just a wonderful reality for me because I think about his discomfort as a 10-month-old and my discomfort when, when I was a kid. So, so that's not far off for some of you. You are saying, David, you are still a kid and that's okay. But even between my son and I, there's, there's a big generational gap. And so in there, our discomforts were dis different, and it shows how much we've grown in removing the need to be patient. So for example, if we're in a long car ride, over the summer on vacation, we went over to Post Falls, Idaho to visit some family. And on our way over, if there was a moment where my son was at a discomfort, on our mobile devices, we would connect to whatever music we wanted to soothe him so he felt better, right? Right? 
So when I was a kid, here's what we did. When we felt discomfort, we did something called I spy, right? Which at 70 miles an hour, no one wins, okay? That's just the reality on the freeway. And so we would play this game, right? I see something blue, and then they'd try to figure it out. That was our game. And when we asked, are we there yet? No. And there was no telling when we'd be there yet because there was no device yet to explain the distance of when you would be there. But as my son gets older, he's going to have the reality and the capability that he goes, hey, dad, how long until we're there? And I can ask my device. And there's the answer because we have eradicated the need to be patient. We've, we've resolved that to where we just get answers very, very quickly. I mean, think of also what, I, what is the biggest one for me is on my wife's phone, she has an app called The Wonder Years. And uh, it's not the show, but on the app, it tells you where your child is at in the progression of their growth. And then it tells you, here's what they're going through, and here's some things that you might expect. And so when we see Micah being really cranky or, or, or just really crying and clingy, going, oh, he's teething, right? And so before, there was, you know, not this. Right now, we have all this information. We have WebMD, which has produced more fear than information, right? Everyone's going, I think I have that. I better go check. Before, when, when you went to your parents and, and you were kind of whining and everything, you know, the, the, the main question was, is it bleeding? No. Okay, you're fine, right? And so that was like, that was the test. But now we have all of this information because we've removed the need to be patient and we've put in place the need for results. And on and on it goes. I mean, overall technology and how that plays into our memories. We have far less people present in the memory and more people saying we need to record that. I mean, there's times where I realize like, I don't want to record this. I don't, I, don't, I don't need to share it with the rest of you. This is me and my son. This is, this is our time. This doesn't need to be your time. But this is, this is the reality. We're, we're so at this point of, of all of these things, especially in technology, where we don't have to be patient. Things are faster and they are easier than they ever have been. And, and, and you can see the difference in there. We have all of this available to us where I remember when I was a kid, we didn't have these things. If mom took a picture, she's going, wait a second. Okay, stand still. And then we got to do it again. One of you is blinking, but I'm not sure because we won't know for another week when we take it to the one hour photo. Things have changed drastically so that they become faster and easier. And, and, and there's a difference even in that because we have, patience with each other of going, here, let me show you this on my mobile phone. Or if you see a family where they grew up without cameras, they're fighting over the memories of who's right, who's wrong. And every family member goes, no, this is how that memory went. And now we have all these devices that that show us, here's how this went. And here's the photos we took and the videos we took. And, And so really, when it comes to patience, we lack it extremely in our culture because everything is bent on, you don't need patience anymore. You need it now. Everything, our, our marketing, our, our, our social climate, everything that is before us in our world, everything is turned towards the reality of the belief that you don't need patience anymore. And so this, there, there's this real irony happening with that is that the more we make the world faster and easier, the more impatient we actually are. So we're producing in ourselves this feeling that it should be faster, this should be easier, and if it's not, we're impatient. So everything has gotten to this point, and it's only served to further frustrate us. 
So we find ourselves lacking patience in a day where everything has become easier and faster and about our comfort. And I think we all struggle in different ways with patience. I struggle with patience in different areas. I mean, there are things that I'm very patient about. There are things that I am not patient about. And in ministry, your patience is always tested. It's always tested. And it's hard too, because you're the pastor, so you have to be nice, right? And so there's that pressure and, and that struggle where we feel like as believers, we need to be patient, but as human beings in this culture, there's no need. And so there's a tension in that. But what James is getting after is saying, you and I will experience trials where we are going to experience suffering. And what he tells us is the key in these is patience. And so it's not just, oh, it's okay. I can, I can wait for the webpage to load or, or, or I'm okay with being on hold for a while on the phone. No, 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 no. It's not in your common issues. It's in your real suffering that he's calling us to be patient in. I mean, Jesus was clear when it came to the real cost of following him, that he said suffering will take place for those that follow. I mean, it may not be today, but maybe tomorrow. And maybe not tomorrow, but, but maybe at some point we will walk through trials. So think about your response in suffering. Those of you who feel like you're in a season of suffering or have come out of or feel like it's welling up this season, do you trust in the goodness and faithfulness of God in it? Is your faith strong for enduring that suffering and are you patient in it? Not trying so quickly to get by it, get over it, but trusting God in it. And here's what James really gets at is, listen, what you need is Jesus. You are shakable. You are movable. Jesus is unshakable. Jesus is immovable. And so James really gives us three things that we need to do while in our suffering and in our trials when it comes to being patient. In our suffering, one of the things he tells us is to establish our hearts. That in suffering, establish your hearts. And to establish is really to set up on a firm or permanent basis, to have firmly planted. So to firmly plant your heart. And so often the issue in our trials that come is not that, that we are established in the midst of them, but we're more established in the out. So we're more established in how do I get over this? How do I get past this? Rather than how do I seek Christ in this? And so really in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our struggles, what God is really calling us to is not out of our suffering, but out of our comfort. So that we would be firmly planted and established in him, in how we worship, in how we live and even how we pursue him. But it's more than our external positioning. It's more than our physical posture in these things. Because in the Bible, what it emphasizes is that it's about the posture of your heart. Any one of us can judge the other by outward appearance, which we're called not to do, but no one can judge the heart. Only God can do that. And so whether you are standing or sitting or raising your hands or kneeling in prayer during a time of worship, it's, it's not about your physical posture. It is about how you are bowed in submission before Christ. And so what we need is to establish our hearts. And that's a process over time. To establish our hearts, to be someone with an established heart is one who is rooted and grounded in the things of God. So it means that we are in his word, seeking him daily in prayer, not 
perfectly, but faithfully. And in week one, what we looked at in our series in chapter one, verse five, James reminded us, if any of you lacks wisdom, so what he's saying is, if you have a heart not yet that is firmly established in Christ, if you, are, have, if you lack wisdom, if you lack direction, if you lack being grounded, let him ask God. And then we, we saw in that example of, of how we see the double-minded man in that, how he goes back and forth. How do we reconcile the understanding of what we need to do? We looked at the story of a demon-possessed boy and how the father asks Jesus to come and heal his son. And Jesus' response to him is, if you can't, because the man said, Jesus, if you, if you can, if you can, I, help, help me, but only if you can. So Jesus responds, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And in Mark 9 Verse 24, he says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. So church, when it comes to us establishing our hearts, what we can really learn from this verse is there are going to be days where you're going to battle doubt and struggle and unbelief. There, there are going to be those days where you, where you struggle, but, but that's not a lack of growth. That's an opportunity for growth when it comes where we cry out to God and we say, I believe, help my unbelief. Establish my heart in you that I wouldn't be tossed back and forth inconsistent, but that my heart would be established in Christ. Because only a heart established in Christ can be broken from the chains of doubt and unbelief that bind us. And so in our struggles, in our inconsistencies, what we need is is not a better method, not not a better perfection. We need Christ. And so we come before him in the midst of our suffering saying, I believe, help my unbelief. And so in our suffering, we need to have our hearts established what James tells us next is that in suffering, we need to remain steadfast. James uses the term in chapter one, verse four, as well as in the text we read today. He uses that word steadfast in these two places, which steadfast means to be firm and unwavering and unshakable. And so he says in verse four of James one, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so for us to remain steadfast, it's important because if we're not at a point of being prepared for suffering, then then they'll not only surprise us, those seasons of suffering, they, they may even overcome us. And so we need to be at a point of remaining steadfast in season and out of season. So we need to be prepared and we need to be ready. I mean, think about it, gentlemen, it's much like a fight. If you know that you're going to be in a fight or in a conflict, your stance is different, is it not? You're prepared and you're ready. If you know what is coming, you are going to put yourself at a stance that is very intentional. But if we're sitting back just going, I don't know if it'll come, it's no big deal. I'll get steadfast when it's necessary. You're, you're not going to be ready. That may overcome you. So James doesn't just say, 
be steadfast at one point. He says, in all times, remain steadfast in this season and out of this season. And so for us to be steadfast and immovable in that season of suffering is really for us to be spiritually grounded. That, that not for us to just pursue a season of, of looking at what grounding looks like and then, and then not worrying about it at one point, but pursuing being spiritually grounded. Because the steadfast person knows what he believes, knows the truth of what God says, even in the struggle of unbelief, even in the struggle of doubt, they are grounded, not in themselves, but in Christ Jesus. But, but the person who is not grounded, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, they're tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching. And so we see that, that the unmovable person, what we see specifically in them is that they can walk through suffering and see purpose in it. They can, they can walk through seasons of difficulty and see Christ in it. I mean, if, if you don't know the story of Joseph, this is how the story of Joseph ends. Just a side note for you. Throughout the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, when we see put in slavery by his brothers, put in a high position, and then thrown into slavery by an accusation, all throughout his life, here's all of the suffering and some of the seasons he went through. And at the end, as he's made second in command over all the kingdom, he tells his brothers, God has put me here with a purpose. And so for the person who is spiritually grounded, they see that season with purpose. So they can, they can hear these things among themselves, not walking in going, man, I'm unshakable, I'm fine, but, but being rooted in Christ, not in themselves. This person is spiritually ground by how they live their life in Christ. And so they're not shaken by the things around them. They're immovable by the life of Christ. I mean, we can see this example if we look at the life of Paul. I mean, Paul was unstoppable. If you haven't read the book of Acts, go read the book of Acts and see how unstoppable Paul was. Jesus was the unshakable one in him, but Paul was really unstoppable in a lot of ways. If you look at Acts 13, there was a governor and a, and a magician, and it caused, Paul caused him blindness, and out of that, the governor believed and then we see in Acts 16 where, where Paul is publicly beaten and then he rejoices in it. He rejoices in being beaten. He has joy in the midst of his trials. Then in, in, in Acts 16 later, we see that they throw him in prison and, and he converts everyone in the prison. Then after that, he's, he's in waiting and, and in this season of waiting of where he's to go next, you see in Acts 17, he preaches to the Greeks and he actually uses their own pagan context, their own pagan text. If you go read Acts 17, you can find a little bit of pagan literature that was used intentionally for the purpose of the gospel. And so Paul is just this guy who would not be stopped by anyone because he's rooted himself in Christ and remained steadfast in all these seasons. And then he becomes shipwrecked in Acts 28 towards the end of his life. I love this story where he survives being bitten by a snake and everyone is like, man, he's gonna die. He's gonna go to bed. This is the end. And he wakes up the next morning saying, Christ isn't done with me yet. I'm, I'm unstoppable. And he converts the whole island. So this is a guy who like, I mean, could you imagine how frustrating that guy would be to a non-believer? I mean, you, you kick his butt and he says, oh, glory be to God. Come on, what do you do with that? 
And then you take him and you put him in prison. This is, this is better. We'll shut him up. We'll get him away. So he converts everyone in the jail. I, I mean, at that point, the, the end of his life, you would have to kill him because there's nothing else you can do. This is a man who was spiritually grounded. This is a man who said, all to the glory of God, I will live my life and remain steadfast in season and out of season in all things. So it's not how he himself went about things, but in remaining steadfast, it was about how he was grounded in Christ. Not himself, but in Christ. And another example that we see from Paul and even from James is that in suffering, we need to be faithful. In suffering, we need to be faithful. James says towards the end of this passage in verse 12, let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you will not fall under condemnation. See, when Jesus started his ministry, he didn't go looking for the perfect bunch. If you've read the story, you know they are not the perfect bunch. But what he was looking for is followers who would be faithful, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. And so in the early church, in the midst of persecution, people were struggling and and, and almost leaving and going, we should just hide because they didn't want to be stoned with rocks. And and honestly, we don't have this issue in our churches today. More so, we have the issue of preference. We're out of preference we leave because we are calling you not to get stoned off your rocks. So these are the two issues. One's out of persecution, one's out of preference. And so what we need, church, is to be faithful. Not, not perfect, not, not, this, not this fake version of re- religiosity, but faithfulness. But here's the reality. In a lot of ways, we're not faithful, we're fickle. We're not faithful, we're fickle. We're, we're changing constantly. I mean, think of all of the examples that we can see in our culture. In, in marriages, I mean, culturally, culturally, if you look at the stats of marriage, they're just as daunting in the church as they are outside the church. You look at our, our, our churches in of themselves, where we're not faithful, we're, we're fickle. I mean, there are, there are more studies being done about church attendance than about spiritual maturity. Think about that for a second. Out of the inconsistency of the body, they are training pastors more in how to get people back in attendance than how to train up those spiritually who are here. So we're, we're not faithful. In a lot more ways, we're fickle. In our education, in our contracts. I mean, there are ways in which commercials are done. If you watch cell phone commercials, they're no longer saying, here's what we believe is the best plan for you. They're saying, Here's what, we'd be, here's what would be better if you left that one contract over here and pursued this. So, so there's not faithfulness anymore. In fact, young people, millennials, just, just so I'm speaking to you specifically, just so you know too, we're the least faithful to, to branding, to church, to community than anyone else. We long for it more, more than, our, than our fathers and our mother, mothers. We, we long for community. We, we say that we long for biblical inerrancy, but we don't wanna do the hard work because you're fickle. You're not faithful. And so this is the hard reality that James is saying, when it gets tough, lean in. Do you hear me, young people? When it gets tough, lean in. Don't walk away because that proves that you're fickle, not following Christ. 
because faithful followers lean into the difficulty in friendships, in their jobs. Some of you have jobs and in seasons you're going, man, at this time, God is calling me out. Whether by a new season or by a difficulty. So don't hear me that if you've left a job for that reason, that that's a bad thing. But some of you have left work because you're just like, man, I don't like it. I'd rather do something different. And you're back and forth in all of this inconsistency. So, so what we're called to is to be faithful, not fickle. In our friendships, in our marriages, in our churches. I mean, even Jesus made it clear when it came to fickle followers. When it came to those, he, he really communicated the danger of indecisive discipleship. In Luke 9, verse 62, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That hits hard. No one is fit. If you're gonna be fickle, it's not gonna work. And so what we need to do is be faithful, continually moving forward, not, not, not moving back and forward and back and forward because could you imagine driving down the road and constantly looking back? Today, this is what I'm gonna do, but maybe tomorrow, this is what I'll do. Today, I'm gonna follow. I don't know about today. I mean, could you imagine that? First looking back for a second, doubting and, and choosing something else, then for a minute, and then you crash. Because that's what the fickle follower does. But the faithful follower constantly in suffering, in a season where they're called to be patient, they're faithful. They're faithful in their following of Jesus. So even when it's tough, and I think what we see today is tough is here. It's not, not even that tough at one day is gonna come. Tough is here. What we need is to establish our hearts in Christ to remain steadfast together in the midst of our trials, to be faithful in our lives and doing all this to build patience. To do all of this, we need to seek the one who was all of these things for us on the cross. We need to seek Jesus. So in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, we need to be established, steadfast, and faithful in Christ. Let's pray.